You're listening to That's Pretty Dark. The podcast where we talk about all of the entertainment that scared us as children. And still haunts us as adults. So grab your flashlight and join us as we take a frightfully nostalgic look over our shoulders. And under our beds. And in our closets. And together we'll realize, whoa, that's pretty that's dark. That's pretty dark. Magnificent humans who humans. hate everything. Yes, I hate everything. Is what you just said. Christian and I are comparing war stories from the week yes. of anxiety and depression. So, <laughs> <laughs> what a if, week! If uh, you guys are on that uh, boat, on that train with us, then welcome. You're in the right place. Hey, don't take trains away from me. Trains oh, are next right. time. Oh, that's right. Trains are next time. <laughs> Today's been a day for mail. For mail. For mail. What What came in the mail? A few things. <laughs> <laughs> I got your birthday present. Ooh. Are you I'm really give me a excited hint? about it. Do I get a hint? No. Okay. Well, okay. Here, here's a hint for you. Yeah. I've already told you what I'm going to get you for your birthday. Oh my I've god. I've actually said it on the air before. You said it on the air while recording. Yeah. Hey, somebody write in and tell me what he said because <laughs> I we finished these and I blocked them out of my brain. <laughs> yeah, I figured you wouldn't remember it all, but I, don't I got have one. Any memory? I got one for you. You laughed at me, but I got you one. Thank you. And we got um, something else exciting. In the, I got something in the mail. It's exciting this week. Yeah. We're preparing, guys, I heard it here first. Uh, it's, it's you know, the summertime. I'm, I recognize that. But if you're like us in any way, you're already gearing up for Halloween. Mm. And so are we. I was going to say, I just can't wait for Halloween. Like, I'm so pumped for October. So are we. I can't even stand We it. will be doing a really, really exciting giveaway. Hell yeah. And one of the items we're giving away came in the mail this week. Mm-hmm. You guys better get ready. Sorry. You were going to talk about your mail. Yeah. The other mail I got is my 23andMe. Yay. So I'm going to find out where I'm from and what's wrong with me. <laughs> Pretty excited to talk about it. We can't wait to hear all about that. And the third thing I got, man, I got a notice of violation. What? <laughs> from the city public services. What did you do? <laughs> oh my God. Are Apparently, you like, is there a warrant out for your arrest or something? No, there's not yet. Okay. If I do it again, maybe. What'd you do? Apparently... You're supposed to bring in your trash can the same day Ooh. the trash picks up your trash can. Mm. And I am no stranger to leaving my can for two, three, four, five, even six days <laughs> on the street. Uh, me neither. But this time, I got a letter in the mail Wow, telling me that if I'm not careful... I may owe a fine of like $662 What for leaving my trash can out by the street. No. And it said I have to keep the right of way clear. Uh-huh. Like they're saying it was like in the street. In the road. It's not. It's definitely not in the road. Oh, definitely was just in my yard. If it was in the road, you would have moved it. Absolutely. Or it would have gotten hit. Maybe they, or somebody else would have moved it. Was it addressed to you? Yeah. Or did you oh. accidentally open a neighbor's mail? No, no, no. It's mine. My name, mm. my address. There is a picture Included. This inspector took a photo. It's my trash can. Oh my god. My front yard. Oh my god. My house. Well, congrats. You pissed pissed the people I off. I pissed off the city. Wow. No, I do that all the time. In fact, right at this very moment, my trash can is at the street. Well, you better go get it. The trash they came yesterday. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> rings you up. Hey, is your hey. trash can on the street? <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you better go you go better get go it. Catch it. Cause <laughs> it's gonna you're gonna get a fine. A violation oh well, for over six hundred dollars um, that you can't afford. Mm -mm. Sorry, sorry, city, but that's uh -huh. absurd. This is just the beginning. I can think of people that might deserve it, but I'm gonna keep thinking of ways to piss off the city, and I'm gonna keep doing them until you get kicked out. <laughs> I, 
Yeah. You can't live here anymore. You left your trash can out too many times. It would be hilarious. Yeah, I'm laughing with you. I mean, like, I've seen a lot of HOA issues, like, online go viral, but I feel like this, I've never heard of the city actually calling somebody out. I know. <laughs> you got to be really special for mm-hmm. the city to send you a letter. Man. I feel threatened. I also feel threatened for you. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got it out for I'm you. I'm all bent out of shape about it. <laughs> but, you know, we're not here to talk about me and my... uh my Disturbia I mean, issues. We could, continue. we could continue talking about our problems or we could talk about somebody else's. Yeah. You want to talk about somebody else's? Let's do it. So. Let's jump today, in. Today. <laughs> what is today? I don't even know. I think that's part of the problem. I think that is part of the problem is because I don't even know what exactly DJ McHale had in mind for this episode, but we're going to try and figure it out together. Let's figure it out together on... That's pretty dark. <laughs> Where my name is Kaylin. And my name is Christian. Now that you know our life stories, you might as well also know our names. And we're here to kick ass. That's right. So we are talking today about Are You Afraid of the Dark? Season 1, Episode 9, The Tale of the Sorcerer's Apprentice. This originally aired on October 17th, 1992. And I'm also going to reiterate that the Paramount Plus episodes are just all kinds of twisted up. They don't make any sense. They are not in any kind of correct order at all. And it lists this episode actually as the first episode of the second season. Oh, wow. We're here to tell you that it's not. So just, hmm. you know, we're doing the best we can. They're doing the best they can. I don't think they're doing enough. Right. We're having anxiety. We're depressed. We're vibing. I really feel we're... like Paramount Plus, of all of us, should be able to get <laughs> the dates correct. You would think so. In which... The, you know, show. I've been wondering movies. if it was something in like the encoding of the files, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just trying to make it make sense. I don't know. But it doesn't. But we're going to go today back to Halloween Ooh, 1992. Let's do and this. And we're going to feel so much let's better. Let's do this. <laughs> mm. So uh, this episode was written by the Honorable DJ McHale. The Honorable. And also a Hungarian man called Steven Zoller. Okay. <laughs> and I couldn't really find a lot about Steven Zoller. Um, he mostly did some TV movies and some video game writing. So hmm. good for him. Yeah, pretty um, sweet. Would you like to hear the IMDb summary of today's episode? Please let me hear this travesty. Okay. Dean, a troubled student, awakens an ancient secret hidden in the school. Wait, that's it? Yeah, that's all. <laughs> I'm going to need more than that. That is the IMDb summary. I'm going to need so much um, I know that. we're all in the right headspace now. That was like the perfect introduction. Couldn't have been better. <laughs> but if you don't mind, I'd like to take it one step further with my own yes, summary. Yes, please. Okay. Please, thank you. In the tale of the Sorcerer's Apprentice, a decades-old plot culminates in the test of two best friends mm. when good-looking but apparently painfully average in every other way, Dean finds belonging <laughs> with an ancient Babylonian sorcerer. Thunder. I said Babylonian sorcerer, and it thundered behind me. But you're, you're describing our podcast. Yes, because we are two best friends, regularly we're two best friends. tested we're, by ancient We're being sorcerers. tested. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and I know, I know what you're wondering. I know what the listener is wondering. Does this, based on the title, have anything to do with the 2010 B-movie, The Sorcerer's Apprentice? Or Alfred Hitchcock's The Sorcerer's Apprentice? Or Fantasia? Or Fantasia 2000? Does it? (laughs) Does it? (laughs) Well, maybe. Maybe. Uh, I would argue that the ties aren't immediately apparent, or they weren't to me, and I think I'm going to have to let you, listener, and you, Christian, decide for yourself. I've already decided. uh... (laughs) (laughs) This is one of the episodes where I would really, like, really, really, really like to pick DJ's brain and find out how and why he came to the decisions that he did. 
Yes. You may get into this, but brief spoiler, there's another episode in season two that we'll get to Mm -hmm. for season two that is the Sorcerer's Apprentice story classic narrative right it's just called the magician's assistant yeah i i don't know dj i could you if you ever hear this please tell us how and why we're gonna interview him one day we'll talk talk to him him and he will let us know when we get over our imposter syndrome we'll talk to him but we'll we'll talk about the lore in that story a little bit we'll talk about the lore in this story and how they may or may not intersect so that's my goal for today we'll see you guys can give me a grade afterward i'll grade you hoping for a good grade just like Dean. Can use a good grading. <laughs> so this is another Betty Ann story. Back to back. She seemed back to back and she seemed really excited about this. Like she was a very, like she had a weirdly like sparked, amped energy at this campfire. I feel like. Very And I don't remember seeing that in her so much before. I saw, <laughs> as I was researching, I saw, I, fa- I came upon this queer horror blog called Gaily Dreadful, which pretty cool. Okay. And they described Betty Ann as, you know, not falling into these traditional girly or tomboy tropes, but instead she's entirely her own thing. She's a good girl with a deliciously dark side. <laughs> and I was like, hi, that's me. Hello. <laughs> yeah, right. How you doing? I did, yeah, I do pick up on that with Betty Ann. Yeah, sure. she just has this, this energy about her, this story. And whenever she announces that it's going to be her, her story... Um, Eric asks her, ah, you know, is this going to be another gore fest? And I can only yes. presume that he's talking about the blood in Nightly Neighbors. He's always got a bone to pick. He does. With her. He's just a, he's a little, little mouthy little kid. And that's okay. Because we were all that at one point. She like shut his mouth with the Nightly Neighbors. Mm-hmm. And he, he was like, like oh. So now it's going to be just gross. Right? <laughs> like yeah, he's, yeah like, he's going to go back and forth. I mean, she's a like woman. Being petty so she can't do it. anything right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. He's again. got a crush on her. Right. Because when boys are mean to you, they like you. Yeah. These and other lies we tell ourselves to allow little boys to be jerks and (laughs) to allow that to continue well into their adulthood. But I digress. So the Midnight Society. No comment. (laughs) Much like we would together in the woods, they approach what they think might be a grave. Mm. And it's just a mound of dirt near the campfire. And they're talking about whether it could really be somebody buried there. Maybe it's a dog. And Frank is way ahead of this whole true crime trend. And he bets his <laughs> Michael Jordan rookie card, which I didn't even know they had basketball cards, but that's my ignorance. Of course they do. <laughs> he bets that it's a corpse covered by maggots and someone's hidden it to conceal the evidence. <laughs> As they're inspecting the grave, Kiki pops out and shows his fake skull and scares all the rest of the kids. And she high fives Frank. They were in it together. But why true crime now? Interesting commentary because I will also say why true crime. They now? spend a few minutes tossing the skull around at each other. It looked pretty realistic. So props to props. I know on that one. I want to know like what the skull was. Props to props. Pretty, pretty dope. Props to props. But then Betty Ann, she starts waxing poetic about charms and ancient wizards and a head of a different sort. Which mm-hmm. okay, I mean I feel like. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I didn't really see the direct connection of this prank to the story. Normally, there's like a thread. Yeah, sort of a stretch. Wasn't really there for me today. It was a bit of a reach. Um, The story opens, I think this is the first time ever it does this, with this flashback to 1966. Mm -hmm. And Betty Ann says that the story truly began centuries ago. But we see this school, like, shrouded in darkness, all these shadows as we follow a character that we can't see. We just see the shadows in the school, going downstairs, et cetera. Right. And she leaves an item in a bucket. Yeah, it's like a chum bucket. Down, yeah, like a chum bucket. I it's was going like, to say that. And drops what? it down into the water. 
under her school. Yeah. And we, we see that she has this tattoo of a cobra on her <laughs> arm. So she's a Death Eater. Yeah, basically. <laughs> then we flash forward to present day, which I guess is like 1991-1992, at the same school. And it feels like this episode's going to lean really heavily into the ancient curses. We talked about the idea of a 30-year cycle, mm-hmm. which that was intriguing to me. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm sold. I'm on this. Um, that is 30 years, isn't it? Wow. Yeah, well, 25, really. Okay. 25, technically. But you know what I mean. Close enough. Close enough. So <laughs> at this point, we join Dean, who is our protagonist of the day, and he's in chemistry class. And chemistry was... My absolute least favorite subject in school. Like I was, if you said favorite, I would have been no, we, so mad. We wouldn't even I be hated friends. chemistry. Chemistry was my work. Thomas, we talked about him last time. One of my very best friends. He can vouch for this. We took chemistry lab together. His mom taught mm-hmm. it, and I was near tears every single <laughs> class because I couldn't make it. Make I hated sense. chem lab, dude. Oh my god. I love science, but I hate math. And chemistry was like, you have to do all this math to get to the cool science part. Mm-hmm. And it made me um, hate everything. Right. I hated my life when I was in chemistry. So Backtrack. They should go science back to math Agreed. later. Yeah, because then maybe you could skip that part. The science is cool. <laughs> I recognize that math is important and necessary and whatever. I just try to leave that for people who enjoy math because it's not me. Yeah. So anyways, we hear... That Dean is the kind of guy who blended into the background. He didn't really have any talents or prospects. He wasn't great in school either. And at this point, his really creepy, creepy teacher is handing back tests to the class. Yeah. And when she hands Dean's test back, she tells him, Mr. Burkham, you are sinking to perdition. Yeah. That's pretty dark for a chemistry teacher. That's pretty heavy. Adults who insult you because you're not living up to their expectations. Who cares what you think, lady? It's rough. It's very rough. Go back and watch that moment. Because She's not supportive at all. That's She's essentially not like, damning him to hell. Yeah. You know? If you don't apply yourself. And a chemistry teacher should never do that. <laughs> no. No teacher should ever do that. Mostly because there's no scientific basis for uh, a hell right. existing. Right. Why would a chemistry teacher but. say he was sinking into perdition? <laughs> Dean is played by Matthew McKay, 1T get that right matt hugh and it is almost impossible to find information about him online which very much disappointed me i'm surprised because he's a pretty good actor where he is now he was he i thought he was an impressive actor um and he also liked what he what he brought he seemed a lot older than a lot of the other actors that we've seen on this show so far yeah and i can't be positive but he apparently played henry ford at age 12 in a tv movie about henry ford Hmm. in 1987 so i did the math and he had to have been around 16 or 17 when he played dean so it's he seemed just a tad bit older than the average actor on the show and he has very few other credits to his name but i have to wonder if there's some kind of trolling situation going on because he has additional voice credits for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. You know what? They all say that. Weird. I just don't know. And also for There's no the, way. the 2005 Charlie and Chocolate Factory, oh, okay. the Johnny Depp one. Yeah. And he had motion capture credits for a 2009 Avatar video game. What? <laughs> and this one was very interesting. He contributed voices, just literally, that's all it said, voices, voices. to a 2008 French-Canadian animated series called Fred's Head. Have you ever heard of that? Fred's Head, yes. Okay. I have heard of it, but I didn't know where or how. I've never seen it. Yeah. Everything I could find about it online, it was mostly in French. In Fred's Head, the 16-year-old title character and his goth friends are followed around by a worried psychologist. These are all quotes from descriptions. 
They are obsessed with B-horror movies. Uh-huh. And the show tastefully dabbles in sex, drugs, and alcohol. Okay. So we know what we're going to watch next. Absolutely. I am down. Yeah. Which is- Fred's head. There's so many crossovers there. That's so strange. I know. But I mean, it's not like he played- I don't think he played the title character, which he could have. I mean, I thought his voice- He probably could have. He's good decent. enough, too. But um, like, goth and ahead of a different well, kind, yeah. nature or whatever. Yeah. Really interesting. Right? Hmm. It's just strange how there are all these overlapping. I knew there was going to be something weird that you told me about this guy. <laughs> like, I was I was like, I'm not going to look him up. I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to have a fact. But I don't know what, I knew he, you were gonna have like, what he voiced. So we'll have to watch it and see. Yeah. He also appears in another episode that I'm very excited for. Uh, it's actually the one that Paramount Plus queues up the very next after this. Weird. Which is The Tale of the Prom Queen. Oh, no way. Yeah. He's in that one? He sure is, but I'm not going to tell you who he is. We will talk about that when we get to the prom queen. Okay. So uh, the other principal character is introduced as Dean's best friend, Alex, who is described as Dean's opposite in every way. Um, <laughs> I liked her too. Yeah, I thought, I thought she, she was, was thought she was fine. She was good. Um, she's played by Stacy Smith, who's, <laughs> um, <laughs> whose singular other credit was from the year prior in 1991 when she played a supporting character in Prehistoric Bimbos in Armageddon City. Oh my god. Can't make this shit up. <laughs> you really can't. It is apparently a sci-fi comedy series. There are a lot of bimbo movies in various <laughs> settings. Yeah. And I felt extremely weird looking them up. <laughs> but they exist. I also know what I'm watching next. Right. Too. <laughs> oh man. Um That sounds so But funny. it was a year it was a year before, so she had to have, I guess, played like a supporting character or something. Right. Because she's pretty young. She seems younger than him. Mm-hmm. And I thought yeah. she did yeah, again, did a good job as Alex, aside from the immediate toxic positivity that she hits Dean with when he comes to her about his test, being upset about it, and she immediately yeah. just tells him, if you keep thinking this way, you're always going to get dumped on. Some of the dialogue, mm-hmm. I didn't really appreciate, yeah. but I think it didn't age it's well. all to sell the idea. Sure, it's to, like, it's, it's to sell the idea that he's in a rough spot. Yeah, it's... They were trying to, you know, it's hard because what are these episodes, 20 minutes long? Yeah. And they only have so many lines of dialogue. In a short amount of time. It's a very short amount of time. So Mm -hmm. it's really hard to nail those like really pensive, profound moments that you're trying to like. Yeah. It all becomes a little bit trite. Yeah. I guess. Some of it becomes trite because you're forcing brief, brief moments. And you're forcing to like trying to explain this relationship because they even, Mm -hmm. Betty Ann, the narrator goes so far as to say they have a good relationship. So it's like, (laughs) she's letting you know, they're trying to let you know with this dialogue, but it triggered me (laughs) because I'm like, don't tell me how to feel. Why else do you have uh, voiceover narration of the story you're watching is to tell you how to feel about what you're seeing. That's the only reason to have it. No, no. Betty Ann can tell me how to feel. I just don't want Stacy to tell Dean how to feel. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's different. That's totally different. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so next up is our world cultures class. Mm. And I find that that's pretty progressive for our high school. I didn't have classes like that until I was in college. This is very college. Collegiate feeling. She's a touring. Archaeologist. Uh, like yeah. lecturer. Yeah, she's not a high school teacher. She's You have lecturers come to your college to right. t- give lectures. But apparently high school as well. Very strange. Indeed. So her name is Dr. Oliver. And she's lecturing on some pretty gory stuff, actually. I was into it. Dr. Oliver is portrayed by actress Emma Stevens, who played a journalist in Angelina Jolie's Beyond Borders. No way. And she featured in a few TV movies, and she did some voice work for some 20-teens Assassin's Creed video games. But that was really all I could find about her. She's wearing one earring the entire time, (laughs) and she discusses how archaeology is important in understanding ancient people and cultures, which... 
Sure, it is. No, she's right. Um, she gives an example of a golden dagger that she's holding, brandishing in front of For these instance, high school children. The high priests of Babylon used this golden dagger to cut out the hearts of slaves for their sacrifices. Hey, that's pretty dark, y'all. <laughs> you okay, DJ? <laughs> but more of his research. I mean, I know. I, oh, oh, we'll get there. It's the kind of stuff, too, that you'd learn in high school. History is heavy. I like it, though. And I'm all for not pulling punches with kids' media. But Dr. Oliver also discusses a bowl where salt was stored to be used as a weapon to ward off evil, mm -hmm. sort of like garlic is to vampires, she says in the yeah. lecture. And I feel Very like this much. is Betty Ann recycling some lore from her previous <laughs> her, story. She's looked into all this stuff, yeah. too. No, She I'm, brings in some other stuff later we'll get into, but like, yeah, she's been researching apotropaic magic and like... What wards off evil and how to protect yourself. I'm getting a very Betty Ann perspective doing the research for these shows, these episodes. Like, I get it. <laughs> she's, I'm telling you, she got into the Midnight Society and she's gone all in. I love it. In. Yeah. Deliciously dark side. She's about it. I think she and Gary should get together. Hey. Because I should he it. started this. I should And it. she's like, hey, I'm taking this serious. I know Gary and Kristen have their thing or whatever, but I, I would like to ship him with Betty Ann. Uh, yeah. Yes, please. Let's ship somebody in this 30-year-old show real quick. So Dr. Oliver then unveils a golden scepter shaped like a cobra, which she says belonged to an ancient Babylonian sorcerer named Goth, Goth. who was evil and enslaved thousands to do his bidding. It's a little bit it's on, on, the nose. on the nose there. Real <laughs> DJ on Satanic the nose. Panic. The writings say that following Goth will bring you incredible fortune and good luck. Crossing him will lead to your destruction. Of course, we don't believe in such silly things today, do we? She says. <laughs> I'm like, of course we do. Naturally. <laughs> so I took this opportunity to see if there were any ties to reality with any of this. Find out if there were rulers, magicians with similar names. I tried to look into Cobra mythology, all that sort of stuff. And interestingly, I did find, and you will probably know a lot of this, but just in case the listener doesn't. Probably because I'm awesome. Because you know a lot about mythology. <laughs> But I did find that the roots to a lot of like medieval European sorcery and magic have very, very deep ties to Mesopotamia and Babylonian magic and demonology. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know that I'd ever quite put that together before because before this research and, you know, some, some stuff in college, I guess, my knowledge of the Babylonian culture was limited to the biblical lens of Babylonians. Right. Buzz just shook the doorknob. <laughs> Scared me to death. Oh, jeez. <laughs> he can, yeah, he, if he has like a lever doorknob, he can open it. But he's these trying are to not. Open the door. He's trying to get in. Yeah, Sphinx will open drawers. Oh, my he'll, God. He'll reach up and open a drawer. He, he just like rattled it like a person. Like that was as if a person was rattling the doorknob. That's super scary. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, I, I feel like this, I had like a very biblical lens of Babylonians, which was the fact that they were bad and not God's people. And it makes sense because a lot of what is paganism, which is essentially anything that isn't Judeo-Christian, yeah. all of it kind of originated from Babylonian culture mm -hmm. and myth. I mean, yeah, that's why like we grew up being taught that Babylonian society was like evil and right. all this because bad they, stuff. Because they always I'm opposed like the Christian like society in the biblical texts. Sure. So I, they were the, the bad guys, you know, and good they wanted us I to mean. think, I mean, honestly, and for your listening pleasure, I pulled some quotes from this book that I found called myths and legends of Babylonian Assyria from 1917. Oh yeah. By okay. Lewis Spence. All right. <laughs> I personally, as I was reading it, I was fascinated. Yeah. Hit me. <laughs> you're you're going to love this. Okay. I'm so and excited. It, again, it's, it might be stuff, you know, but we'll, 
We'll see. We'll see. So Lewis Spence in his book, sorry, buddy, Buzz is going to yell. We're just going to, we're going to be here together. We had thunder earlier. And now we have kitties. Uh, Lewis Spence said, like other primitive races, the people of Chaldea scarcely discriminated at all between religion and magic. One difference between the priest and sorcerer was that one employed magic for religious purposes while the other used it for his own ends. Mm -hmm. The literature of Chaldea, especially its religious literature, teems with references to magic, and in its spells and incantations, we see the prototypes of those employed by the magicians of medieval Europe. Indeed, so closely do some of the Assyrian incantations and magical practices resemble those of the European sorcerers of the Middle Ages <clears throat> and of primitive peoples of the present day that it is difficult to convince oneself that they are independent of independent origin. <laughs> Essentially, Lewis is saying that we have a lot of documented cultural evidence that the culture of Babylon and their magic and sorcery and tradition, incantation, those things are so closely tied to medieval sorcery and magic and the documents that we have pertaining to that, that it's almost impossible to say that it didn't come from Babylon. Right. Apparently there are a lot of very, very close similarities between these cultures. And I mean, I could understand if it kind of came from there or developed past there, but they had it all figured out in ancient Babylon. <laughs> Like, yeah. there is nothing new. Nothing new. And he also said that our information regarding Chaldean magic is much more complete than that which we possess concerning the magic of ancient Egypt. Of course, this is from 1917, so I don't know if that's still true. But he said that hundreds of spells, incantations, and omen inscriptions have been recovered. And these not only enlighten us regarding the class of priests who practice magic, but they tell of several varieties of demons, ghosts, and evil spirits. And they picture for us many magical ceremonies besides informing us of the names of so and sources of plants and flowers possessing magical properties, magical substances, jewels, amulets, and the like. Hey so this is when, in my research, I started mm. to go, Oh, okay, DJ. <laughs> <laughs> okay, You're DJ. getting there. Okay. A lot of the idea of protective amulet or jewels or using herbs to achieve magical results, a lot of that came from right. this region. Right, right. And what will probably be your favorite part, Christian. Don't tell me how to feel. <laughs> he also said... There appears a deeper gloom, a more ominous spirit of the ancient and the obscure in the magic of old Mesopotamia than in that of any other land. Mm -hmm. Thousands of spirits of various and grotesque types, the parents of the ghosts and goblins of a later day, haunt the temple, battening upon the remains of sacrifice, flit through the night-bound streets, and disturb the rest of the dwellers in houses. Demons with claw and talon, vampires, ghouls, all are there. Spirits blessed and unblessed, jinn, witch hags, sorrowing, unburied ghosts. No type of supernatural being appears to have been unknown to the imaginative Semites of Old Chaldea. What's up, Mesopotamia? <laughs> yeah. They must all be laid, exercised, or placated, and is it not to be marveled at that in such circumstances the trade of the necromancer flourished exceedingly? <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, they had it all. So when are you gonna get me a copy of this text? Yeah, we'll have to. I read it online. I can send you the link, and you can read every word of it. Please do. It was it was great. Wow, that's um, awesome. The other very interesting thing that I realized and learned is that in ancient Babylon, um, witches are wizards who weren't like professional, who were just like detached and practicing without priestly status. Mm -hmm. They were often blamed when somebody fell sick or had some misfortune befall them they couldn't attach blame to. Oh, I see. And the nearest sorcerer, male or female, witch, wizard, whatever, mm -hmm. real or imaginary, 
was usually brought to book, just like in the Salem Witch Trials. Interesting. They would even do the float tests no in way. ancient Babylon. They would throw people into the river to see if they floated. Oh, that long ago? Yes. Holy shit. <laughs> I had no idea. I did not know that at all. I thought that was purely a European, mm-hmm. you know, bullshit thing. Nope. Oh my God. Nope. It comes from Mesopotamia. So they must have known that and they utilized exactly. old either pagan texts or texts about pagan worlds. Exactly. Oh my God. Even to them, it's it comes from there. <laughs> Man, so cool. And they acted like they were these like all-knowing, godly people. Right. Just Taking old pagan belief yeah. systems. And twisting them to mean whatever they wanted them. them to mean. But it was the same essential premise in that case, you know. If they're actually a witch, then right. this is how we this is how we find out. Oh my god, that's unreal to me. Yeah, I know. I kind of blew my mind. That is mind blowing. So this book and all the passages that I was reading heavily conflate magic with science in the minds of the early people. And we see this time and time again in our all of our folklore dives. Mm-hmm. And even in episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark, like Captured Souls, yep. there's this yep. science and magic and art, all of it kind of colliding at once. Very mystic. I also looked into, you know, snakes and specifically cobras because obviously that symbolism that there, has a yeah. huge mythological presence. There are some of the oldest worshipped symbols in almost every culture. Snakes are. Yeah. Um, kind of like we talked about with the sun in Nightly Neighbors. And yeah. cobras specifically were closely tied to ancient Egyptian culture. And a lot of Egyptians wore them as jewelry. They were fashioned into their thrones. Tons of stuff in the tombs look like cobras, yeah, drawings yeah. of cobras. A cobra might stand in for Hathor or Sekhmet, which were messengers and avengers of the sun god Ra. Hmm. Or ancient Egyptians believed that Ra gave this kingly symbol of might and protection to his descendants who would become pharaohs, who basically were like gods in Egypt. Yeah, which is so is so interesting because looking at Old Testament scripture, mm-hmm. all the slavery, slavery. The, what hundreds or thousands of years of slavery mm-hmm. or whatever it is, and how their gods were colliding at mm-hmm. the same time. And it's just really not I know. that crazy to think that the devil was depicted as a serpent. Right. Exactly. Like, it's just as it's they just, were yeah, you, coming mm. in with their own texts and beliefs. Yeah, totally. It all it all goes back. People were like, oh, snakes are bad because they're symbols of all these other nations and cultures. Exactly. Yeah. And they, it was. Yeah. It's like they, that's the mascot of the other team. <laughs> We that's don't the like, mascot of the other team. Like Holy shit. That's right. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? We have to go degrade them and graffiti their school and roll their trees. Oh. And we have to uh, poison poison their big tree. What right. is it? Auburn? Oh my God. Yeah. That's they Auburn. poison whatever tree. Yeah. There was a dude that poisoned that's it. He got prison so... time now, I think. Yeah. Well, good. <laughs> <laughs> Your face. Your face good. is at me. Good. There's also the Egyptian goddess of Wajet, which was focused on protecting the pharaoh and his claim to rule. And she's depicted often with, as a cobra or a snake. Hmm. So ancient royalty, especially, would be very, very familiar with this idea of a cobra, which makes sense that he was this Babylonian sorcerer, somebody that was in high status. He had this cobra scepter. And <laughs> and hold on, just just food for thought real quick for the, for the listener. Mm-hmm. Think about how in scripture... When the magicians versus Moses were doing oh, yeah. their whole like go go watch Prince of Egypt if you're unfamiliar with this because it's a dope movie. We're gonna cover Prince of Egypt because it's great. We're gonna cover it one you're day. You're playing with the big boys now. Playing with the big boys now. Oh, chills. Because there's the whole back and forth about turning the scepter into, into a, snake a snake and mm-hmm. vice versa. 
anyway. Just food for thought. Just think about it. There's a lot to think about. Just yeah. think about it. We're just presenting some history alongside That's this it. really fun I'm asking questions. <laughs> I'm not giving answers. I don't have the answers. Just asking questions. <laughs> okay. So speaking of questions and answers, mm-hmm. this little tidbit might be somewhat less relevant to the episode, but I have ADHD. And when I read about it, it was exciting to me to learn. So I'm going to tell you too. Okay. Um, do you know what the symbol is called? That's like the symbol for medicine, the universal symbol, the snakes. Uh-huh. I, yes, I, I don't remember the word, but I researched that. Caduceus? For a uh, novella. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you know, you know what it is, but it's got the snakes mm-hmm. and the wings on either side of it. Yeah. And it's actually meant to be the staff of the god Hermes or Mercury. Hmm. It originally came from Babylon also. Really? Yeah. There are ties all the way back to Babylonian myth with that symbol or that idea of the staff of, you know, and and I think it's insane that that has carried through and is still our universal symbol for medicine. still there. So much of what we do and deal with deals with myth, Mm -hmm. Greek myth, you know, and a lot of this ancient Greek myth apparently can be traced back to Mesopotamia as well. Don't tell the GOP. I learned that from a paper from the American Journal of Archaeology that I read from 1916. Very cool. So I was doing all this turn of the century research. (laughs) But all of that to say, in the moment in the episode, I thought it was kind of random to bring up Babylon of all places. But once again... DJ McHale Nailed came it. through. He did the thing. He was digging into the roots of the entire genre of what we're talking about. So I was pleased. I was pleased That's super that. cool. Man, when we talk to him, we have to ask him like, hey, which came first? That's the question. This show? Or did you just... Were you really into all this stuff? I'd like to know. And that's why you pitched the show. Yeah, and then you had to learn it all. Like, what's the... <laughs> <laughs> what was the driving factor? Like us. Pretty cool. Learning all this stuff. So It's too much to keep up with, honestly. <laughs> it is. I love it, though. I love it. So Alex is pretty unmoved by this lecture from Dr. Oliver. To take you back into the episode, we've just heard from this right. archaeologist that's visiting their school. Weave it back And in. she has all of these artifacts with her. And Dean is looking to change his luck. So he revisits the classroom and they have another conversation in which Dr. Oliver encourages him not to be afraid to touch the artifacts. Oh my God, don't number be afraid one, to touch. Number one, no thank you. No thank you. Mm-mm, I'm not going to touch anything ancient and cursed. Uh-uh. <laughs> I'm not bringing that energy with me. Um, number two, that's literally against everything that you would ever yeah. be taught in a museum or ar- archaeological setting. Like you don't touch things, right. it's, like especially not gross high school kids. Like you don't tell them to touch stuff. But, no, but he's a new convert. Well, that exactly. And, she um, says that maybe she's found another convert. Yeah. And she's winking and kind of like suggestive, <laughs> you know. Wink. Nod, nod to the camera. Don't be afraid to touch. A convert, presumably, to the world of archaeology. <laughs> and that's what she's here for, she says. Yeah. So Dean is then left alone with this cobra, and he picks it up, and he stares into its eyes, which glow bright red, and suddenly Dean is Dean no more. They have this really intimate moment. They do. Dean and the cobra. And this cobra. They do. Get you somebody that looks at you the way that this cobra looks at Dean. <laughs> <laughs> God, so, I'm just I'm looking for that every day. I know you are. I'm trying to find glowing red that. eyes. I don't care what color her eyes are. <laughs> <laughs> they just have to glow. So as long as they're glowing, you know, to me, the, glow to me. The camera angle changes, and we follow a transfixed Dean down into a dark basement stairwell, same stairwell from 1966, it seems, where he raises the same chum bucket <laughs> up from wherever <laughs> it happens to be. Don't know. No one's ever found item. it before. Yeah. No, in 25 no one's years, ever been nobody's down been there. down there or seen it at all. Um, just this Dean. is a totally abandoned, and we'll probably get more into this, but 
I think it's shows like this that made me think that all high schools had these hidden mm-hmm. underground locked rooms right. where mysterious things happen. Yeah, I thought that, that was the case everywhere. And it is in some places, but usually the bad things that hap- are happening are like abuse or something. Yeah. Um, not typically this. Unfortunately. Very dark things. Sorry. <laughs> Bummer. So <laughs> the next time we see Dean, he rebelliously turns in a blank chemistry test. Is this supposed to be funny? Is there a problem, Miss Crenshaw? And it seems almost like he hypnotizes Miss Crenshaw, this teacher, that was so awful to him before. No. No problem. Thank you. Mr. Burkham. And she writes his A-plus in the top corner. I liked this. Uh, it was very spooky. They did a good job. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Alex is not having this. And she confronts Dean about it. And Dean is hella scary in this moment. And he's mad at her. He says that she doesn't believe that he could ace a test. And he's just yeah. she's just jealous or upset. What's wrong with you? Nothing's wrong with me. Everything is finally right. And I'm going to prove to everybody that I'm not the loser they think I am. Dean! And to me, this almost feels cultish. Like, this is like, a, I've found a system that works for me and you just don't understand it. Yeah. Kind of like a... You just don't get it. There's a Sean There's a Sean Hunter episode of Boy Meets World where he gets dangerously close to joining a cult. And it's that same kind of vibe where it's like, you don't get it. You don't understand. I thought you were my friend. Right. And that, to me, is spookier than almost anything else. Because, <laughs> again, these real life, uh, these real life emotional themes are, they, they hit hard. Yeah. I mean, if you ever have to get, speaking from experience, if you ever have to get to a place where you're defending something that your best friend doesn't quite get. You might be in trouble. Just reassess. Yeah, true. Just talk to somebody about what's going on Mm -hmm. and just see if maybe you should, you know. Not do that thing that you're doing. Do something else with your Saturday. (laughs) Watch Are You Afraid of the Dark? Plenty to do. Go to the park. Listen to our podcast. So Walk your dog. (laughs) An undetermined amount of time later, we see Dean... Stealing something from the chemistry lab cabinet, which she says, Alex says, is mercuric acid. And he's now dressed in a black leather jacket yeah. instead of his standard button down. So we know he's gone bad. <laughs> he's super cool looking. Super he's bad too cool boy. for school. He's a bad boy now. Alex tails him down to the basement where she sees him standing beside this glowing cauldron surrounded by all these other kids all dressed in black. And it seems like he's holding some sort of ritual and he's dropping items into the cauldron, including this mercuric acid to create a pathway, he says, and also poisonous nightshade, belladonna leaves to create mystic vapors, which he wants to use to summon goth the ruler of the netherworld. I liked his exposition here where he's just yeah, like, it was good. I'm going to explain to you, my followers, and yes. also the audience, what's happening. <laughs> exactly. Uh, two for mercuric one. Mercuric acid. Uh, nightshade. Two, two birds, one stone. And also, what was with the big tarp in the basement that had rain falling I, down it? Yeah, and light? I don't know. It was interesting. I think I was going to mention this, but I feel like this episode, the gaffers and cinematographers... DP, they were like, let's just do some cool stuff. Let's make all the colors cool. Yeah. Let's do some cool angles. Let's do a lot of shadow and smoke because they really hadn't done that yeah. before. It looks cool. Just go watch it. You'll understand what we're talking about. But yeah, there's it's visually like, pleasing, if not confusing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a little bit confusing, but it is pleasing yeah. to watch. Mm-hmm. So he tosses in Nightshade, Belladonna, mm-hmm. Atropa Belladonna. To, to name the genus and the species. To be specific. Atropa belladonna, the flower known in folk name as nightshade, was named for Atropos, 
which means the unturning one, Mm -hmm. which is one of the three fates in Greek mythology. You familiar with the three fates? Oh, I sure am, mostly from Hercules. (laughs) Hey, hey, most of my Greek mythology knowledge came from Hercules, too. (laughs) Thanks, Disney. (laughs) But this this one of the fates was the one that was said to cut a person's thread of life after her sisters had spun and measured it. The three fates. You know, you begin, you spin the thread, you measure the thread, and then the thread gets cut. Gets a little snip-snap, snip-snap. And it's called Belladonna, beautiful woman in Italian. In reference to the cosmetic use of the plant during the Renaissance. Oh. Because in the Renaissance time, women used the juice of the berries in eye drops, which were intended to dilate the pupils and make the eyes appear more seductive. Huh. Did that lead to any deaths? Well, I uh, didn't find that out, but I will say you probably did not want to get that dosage wrong. Probably not. I Mm. can't believe it a little bit. That shocks me. But, you know, society's also been hellbent on making women look better at their expense. So makes makes sense. That's true. Checks out. That's true. The line between poison and medicine has always been very scary. It is very scary because the line is very fine, which is why I'm glad that there are chemists and (laughs) people that know how to do the math part because the math part is really what will get you in trouble. The math. (laughs) It's so important. The math. (laughs) Very important. Yeah. I also tried, speaking of which, tried really hard to understand mercuric acid as well. Yeah. If you're a chemist, go ahead and write in and help me, or at least don't hate me, because I'm probably going to mess all of this up. But in every search that I tried to do for mercuric acid, what kept coming up was muriatic acid, Hmm. which is better known as hydrochloric acid, which is commonly used to treat pools. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> lol um and keep ph levels correct uh, okay. uh that also to me seemed to be really really on the nose but what are you gonna do it's a kid show yeah considering the solution to the problem <laughs> later exactly emphasis on the solution <laughs> <laughs> am i right chemistry so when these ingredients are combined in the cauldron dean inserts the jewel from this the chum bucket jewel remember that guy into the mouth yeah, yeah, yeah. of the this. The one hidden back in 69 or whatever. Yeah, 66. I'm just thinking about 69. Into the Because we went to the moon in 1969? Is that why? <laughs> <laughs> he just took a drink. I really wanted to see how that would happen. <laughs> because of the moon landing. That's what, Okay, that's what I thought. Just checking. And David Bowie, and the David song Bowie. playing mm-hmm. over the, yeah. the moon landing. 69. Sure. We went to the moon. I'm paying attention. I'm learning things. So he puts this jewel into the mouth of the co-receptor. If I had and a nickel. And at this point, <laughs> this <laughs> glowing green goth appears in smoke. And he tells Dean in this very godlike thundering voice that he's been waiting centuries mm. for an apprentice like him. There is one final task to be performed before I am freed from this infernal dimension of darkness. I, I mean, hey, wow. I want to be released from this infernal dimension of darkness, too. I get it. I wish there was a switch that easy to flip. Right? Turns out it's not so easy Mm-mm. because he tells Dean he wants him to prepare a cauldron and the mystic vapors before the full moon rises. To which I think, did he not just do this exact thing that you're asking him to do? Um, but I guess it needs to be a bigger cauldron. Yeah, you know what? You're right. <laughs> he tells him that if he does this, that anything he wants will be his and the power of the universe will be God's. <laughs> And then we get some quintessential, hardcore villain laughter. <laughs> really great. And I was also doing expression a too. lot of these notes on the full moon. Oh, right. <laughs> which I thought was pretty fun. Because I was like, I'll get it done before the full moon rises too. Which I didn't. But anyway. I have not been right since the full moon. Yeah, it's been 
thrown off her groove. The Capricorn full moon. I've not had a good time Hmm. this week. So Goth, by the way, is played by Stephen R. Hart. This was his first credit, and apparently this role set him on a path. Yeah? (laughs) He had more credits, I think maybe the most of anyone in this episode, at least the most that I recognized, but... He has played some very spooky characters, Hmm. and I'm listing off the actual character names from IMDb. There were demons, executioners, warlocks, grim reapers, multiple times, cadaverous ghouls, evil sorcerers. He played Elder in Silent Hill. Okay. He played Brother Jeremiah on Shadowhunters. He featured in American Gods, Neil Gaiman's American Gods. Oh, really? He was in It Chapter 2. Who? It didn't say. Hmm. And he was... Tall man in the 2020 Hardy Boys reboot. Huh. He also played, quoting, ghoulish faces and specters in the Umbrella Academy. What? Yeah. So he really leaned into that persona and it carried him through his career up until today. Poor guy. He's been typecast. I don't think he minds. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. That's a super cool niche to be in. Like, yeah. He's the spooky guy. Spooky ghoulish characters for my entire career. Kind of fun. Money. Kind of fun. Kind of fun. As Alex is trying to get help, because Dean has now officially creeped her out. Being creepy. We get another one of these classic fake-out moments that we see so often in spooky stuff from this era. She attempts to tell Miss Crenshaw that something's wrong with Dean, Mm -hmm. who is, you know, the helpful adult TM. And she's trying to explain the ritual, and Dean, she's just run away, so she, like, is breathing heavy, and she falls down into a desk to talk to her. Yeah. And at first, Miss Crenshaw is listening, and she's obliging, and then you remember, oh, wait, she's a jerk. Why is she being nice? And that's creepy in and of itself. And then this is, you know, Red Flag City. But, of course, they've got Miss Crenshaw brainwashed as well, and we get another villainous laugh, because there's nothing that Alex can do, and everybody's on his side. And that's a scary feeling. That's a scary feeling to be the outsider or to see something happening. I'm thinking of COVID, uh, QAnon, anything where people don't want to understand and believe reality is happening in front of you, and they just want to pretend it's not. Right. That's really scary. And that's one of the scarier things about this episode. They buy into an idea that supports their entire belief system. Exactly. They buy into one idea and it's done. I get vibes of like the Wicker Man. Yeah. And other stories where you realize that everybody's in on it. It's super scary. That is how my nightmares go. My literal nightmares if I have a nightmare while sleeping. (laughs) Versus being awake. (laughs) And well, it happens in in my life as well. But for the most part, I feel like, yeah, I'm living in these realities where people can't hear me. Nothing. It that's it's 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 very hill house too. Yeah. I mean that's a nightmare. I'm right here. I'm right here and you can't hear me. And that is the plight Mm -hmm. that I see Alex going through in this. And I do resonate. Like that resonates with me. Yeah. But Dina is creepily waiting for her in the school's auditorium, just sitting in a chair, like, you know, waiting for her to come in. (laughs) And he explains to her who, you know, he's still presumably in this brainwashed state, how he likes this newfound power and things aren't dumping on him anymore. So 90s. It's so 90s, I know. Goth has given me the power and I'm using it to bring him back. (laughs) The power of voodoo. (laughs) And he kind of like gets Stacy, like wants her to join him and kind of tries this. It seems like he's trying to hypnotize her or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she does this weird blinking thing. And I'm not sure if she was directed to do that because she was like warding off his 
attempts to hypnotize her or if it was just a weird thing that happened with the actors. I thought it was just uncomfortable acting. Yeah, it could very well be that. But we could give her the benefit of the doubt if we want to. Sure. It's weird. It's a weird thing she does when they're in there, when she's in her close up. It's just blinking. It's probably what I would look like if you had me act in this role. (laughs) (laughs) But she resists his attempts at manipulation and then buzzes yelling so loud. Oh, Oh, I heard that one. He got up under the door he for that one. his name. I'm so sorry, buddy. I see his foot. He's like, it's Friday. Why are you not hanging out on the couch? Foot. I see his little buddy's foot. I'm so sorry, Buzz. But he and his cult of cronies, they ride off on their bikes. You oh, know. Super cool bike gang. <laughs> bike gang. Uh, they're all dressed in black as well. Yeah. That is the, you know, wearing wearing black for evil. It was a callback to me visually to... Um, Twisted Paw? The Twisted Claw Twisted Claw. <laughs> Yeah. The monkey paw. The, the monkey's claw. paw, the twisted claw. <laughs> and Alex at this point wants to involve the police when she sees this green light emanating from the school. Mm-hmm. And Dean's friends end up capturing her. And he tells them to put her in the van. Put her in the van. Is that what he said? Dean, I didn't have the captions I thought on. he said van. I don't have captions on the DVD. I thought he said put her in the van. And then I'm like, well, where are we? Van. Aren't we at school? Isn't that the school? Like, where? I don't... Anyway, confusing. Yeah, it is. But confusing. next, we're in the, the school hallway. So I guess we either were at the school or we went to the school from whatever other location they're using as their home base. Yeah, I don't know. And at this point, the Midnight Society provides some very enlightening commentary. They ask if he's planning to boil her in the mercuric acid, which, <laughs> ew. Um, Eric says that he hates chemistry. And I'm like, me too, dude. Mm-hmm. Me too. Mm-hmm. Also hate chemistry. And Gary says that Alex's goose is cooked. <laughs> Which, yep, that uh, 90s right there. I would have said that. But they walk toward the pool deck and Dean is explaining. There's a lot of exposition in this scene. He's telling Alex that it has been closed off for over 25 years because a girl lost her mind down there. When they found her, she was down here. Totally out of her mind. And it's been sealed until tonight. This part was creepy. <laughs> it's always until tonight, because tonight's the night. Because I have the key. And they begin preparing the cauldron, aka the empty pool under the school. And as the glowing, they, you know, the nightshade, all the same ingredients. And as these glowing green vapors appear, Dean is becoming especially unhinged yeah. at this point. His voice is changing. His voice is changing. The voice of the leg- Legion. I was reading TV tropes for this, and there's some really funny, t- like, TV tropes is great, but the voice of a legion is when you're being possessed by something evil and your voice gets deeper. Yeah. Um, very common, common trope, but I mean, kind of spooky it for is a spooky. kid. Yeah. And he says, Mystic vapors, I've done it. Rise, mighty goth. Your apprentice calls to you. And of course, goth then rises with this very loud moaning like he's coming out of a tomb. <laughs> Out of the smoke on some bullshit about how he's going to lord over all of humanity, et cetera, et cetera. The, you know, the villain's speech. Mm -hmm. And at this point, Alex takes the jewel out of the cobra's mouth and throws it into the pool. And this actually seems to kind of break the spell on Dean and the rest of the kids that are being possessed. Right. And Dean wants to help Alex now, but Goth stops him in his tracks, like freezes him in place. And suddenly, folks, we see a shift. And instead of being called an apprentice... Goth is calling him his slave. Every time. I fear, Dean, <laughs> that you have been taken advantage of. <laughs> You've been duped, in, you rude. In your insecurity and in your desire for power, I think somebody has come along and uh, pulled one over He's on you, He's vulnerable. Buddy. 
He was just looking for love and acceptance. He was looking for love and acceptance, and he found it. He did. He's like all of us. Like all of us. Just don't trust um, cobra scepters or Babylonian sorcerers. Why else does somebody turn to the dark side? They're just looking for love and acceptance. Honestly, we're all just misunderstood. Mm-hmm. But at this point, Dean instructs Alex to use the chlorine, which is in barrels near the pool, mm-hmm. and she pours it into the pool. And though Goth claims that their human science is no match for his power, very quickly it turns out that we are all just victims of biology. He was at the wrong. End of the day. Yeah, he was. He was wrong. Uh, human science did apparently do the trick. <laughs> so it's like this weird metaphor for science, science saves the day and logic smart, beating science. out this old world superstition and yes, magic. Kind of is. Except, except that it's kind of bad science. I'm not a chemist. I've made this clear, nor am I a botanist, but Dean explains that he knew that chlorine, from the chemistry test, mm-hmm. he knew that chlorine kills bacteria, and the leaves were organic, so he figured it would zap them. <laughs> but Dean, <laughs> not everything that's organic is bacteria. Like, chlorine doesn't kill, I mean, if you ingested enough of it, it would kill people, but like, yeah. it's not going to dissolve these plants on contact. It's not an acid in that way. Whatever. Okay, it seems to work. Yeah, I don't Goth know. is destroyed. The evil is thwarted. You could neutralize Spo- the poison. Spoiling the hell out of this for you guys. But <laughs> this was this to me was the funniest part of the whole episode. So they they've been reunited. You know, Goth is no more, and they're you know hanging all over each other. They had some seemed to be some good physical chemistry happening. <laughs> and uh, Alex and Dean exit the gym, or the not the gym, but the pool, and. The kids who have followed Dean down and been there with him in this, you know, hypnotized state without any discussion with Dean or Alex or anyone else about why or how they got there, just groggily exit the pool as well. (laughs) There's no acknowledgement. I noticed that too. They're not talking to each other. They're not wondering how they got there or what's going on. Nope. They just leave. They're just walking out. Then enters Dr. Oliver. And she retrieves the staff, the cobra staff, and it reveals the fact that she is the true apprentice. My God. And apparently, this is not her only attempt. Don't worry. Because she has placed jewels in high schools all over the country. And then we see on her arm the cobra tattoo. And we realize she's the same girl <laughs> from the 60s. The one who went mad? The one who went mad. Lost her mind? they thought she went mad. But really, she's just following this sorcerer but why does she need high school kids to do it for her uh why was it necessary to wait 25 years that was never explained don't know why does it have to be a high school kid who breaks the spell why can't she just do it on her own she knows the ingredients does she not can she not create the cauldron she knows what she's doing no apparently not the midnight society postulates since dr oliver has not given up it's revealed that the world is doomed, and they are quite right. They don't know how right they are. Yeah. But not for the reasons that they think. And it's kind of funny. Gary also, he pulls one of those, well, on that cheerful note, you know, we adjourn this meeting in the Midnight Society and puts out the uh, fire. They all leave and so quickly. I was quickly. like, boy, if that's not us. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? We're all doomed. Okay. Well, on that note, <laughs> bye. Well, might as well get on with our lives. Pretty good. Yeah. Looping back to where we started. Now that you've heard this story... Does this have anything to do with the classic tale of the Sorcerer's Apprentice? No. No, maybe not. (laughs) No, not really. (laughs) To attempt to answer this question, 
I'm going to take us all the way back to 1797. Wow. When Goethe, G-O-E-T-H-E, one of the most widely acclaimed German writers of all time, wrote a 14 stanza ballad called The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to reiterate the whole entire thing. We're going to talk about it when we get there in season two, because ironically, Are You Afraid of the Dark does do an entire episode that does very closely mirror this Sorcerer's Apprentice tale. Yeah. The, the tale of the magician's assistant. assistant. Right. However... The gist is, don't mess with power that you're not ready to wield, essentially. Hmm. That sort of vibe is the, the moral of that story. And it's there are a lot of iterations of it. It's very labyrinth in a way. It kind of is. Have you heard of the Arn Thompson Uther Index, ATU? No. Okay. This is a historic geographic method of comparative folkloristics, which is basically a type index for classifying folktales. No. Weird. It identifies motifs and narrative ideas that can be seen as building blocks of traditional narratives. Is this ongoing or did it happen before? It was in the early 1900s when it was first published by this scholar. And it was mostly just European then. Then it was revised several times, including by Sitith Thompson, who was said to be America's most important folklorist. Okay. It includes over 2,500 basic plots, and it has a numbering system that was later added by a German folklorist in 2004. (laughs) Wow. So it's an index of folklore. I need a copy of this. I know. Holy cow. We need a copy of this for our show. Yeah, Because I think it would often be relevant. Yeah. So it's classified as an ATU 325, if anyone wondered. (laughs) And in these types of stories... There are a lot of similarities, but I will leave that information for when we cover the episode in season two. Ooh, cliffhanger. Winding us back when I talked about Goethe. I'm saying it. I'm I'm not German. I'm sorry. (laughs) But I would like to try and draw some parallels with him, having written the original Sorcerer's Apprentice, so we can see if we can get to the threads that DJ found. Let's do it. Another one of Goethe's most notable works is Faust, Mm. which is a play where the central plot line revolved around selling one's soul to the devil for power over the physical world. And this narrative took on increasing importance in literature, and it almost became a view of the victory of technology and industrialism. You know, what are we... We're, we're, we're selling part of ourselves for this. At what cost are we getting this? Right. Um, That kind of narrative idea. It's all very metaphorical. To be honest, I saw a lot more of those themes in this story than themes from the traditional Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yeah, but I would agree. This German guy wrote them both, so maybe this was DJ's attempt at merging the two ideas into one before he knew he was going to do hmm. the Magician's Assistant episode. Could be, possibly. Could be. I also found some things about Goth, Goethe, Goth, Goth. Goth. <laughs> exactly. That line in of itself is pretty close. But his name was Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. And in addition to being a famous poet and playwright, he was also a scientist. He was deemed by some as the first physicist. Hmm. He studied botany, anatomy, and was one of the first to study and explore color theory and the physiological effects of color. Interesting. Which all of this kind of seems like it fits. There, uh-huh. were, there was use of color and lighting that had not been use, used in Are You Afraid of the Dark yet in mm-hmm. this episode. All this botany-related re- uh, adjacent lore. Yeah. And Belladonna Nightshade. Belladonna Nightshade. And he had the largest private collection of minerals in all of Europe at the time that he died. Oh. He'd collected over 17,000 rock samples to gain a comprehensive view of geology. There are minerals named after him. Hmm. One of our human bones is named after him because he discovered it that most mammals share it. Uh, he had a skele- uh, an elephant 
skull and <laughs> discovered this bone and it's now named after him. We have it in our body? We have it in our body. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was written that his studies of light of the metamorphosis of plants and insects were indications and proofs that the perfect educational lecture belongs in the artist's sphere of work. Hmm. Which I think that's cool. I feel like it ties back into some of that Babylonian myth yeah. that I was talking about earlier. Yeah. I think there's a lot of the same philosophy going on. This art and science, this merging, everything that's magic and abstract, it seems to be in direct opposition with observable fact, but they're always colliding throughout all of history. Hmm. Well, hot damn. It was also written that Goethe was a free thinker who believed that one could be inwardly Christian without following any of the Christian churches, many of whose central teachings he firmly opposed, hmm. sharply distinguishing between Christ and the tenets of Christian theology, which hey. they're pretty much in opposition even today. Sure, yeah. He criticized its history as a hodgepodge of fallacy and violence, Christianity. And <laughs> yeah. he also oh, included <laughs> eroticism in his work at a time when that was not religiously normative at all yeah. and normalized the human sexual experience. I'm sure that he was not a saint because one of his character's first acts after selling his soul in Faust involved seducing a teenage girl. Oh yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. But I feel like it's really funny that there's almost nothing new under the sun. He had a lot of similar worldviews to more progressive folks today. Yeah. Yeah. What a guy. And I can kind of see the influences of this man, this, this artist that created the Sorcerer's Apprentice in DJ's work. Um, it feels to me like DJ Cherry picked inspiration for this episode from a lot of different places. Yeah. And while it doesn't resemble this classic Sorcerer's Apprentice story very much, I'm okay with it because there were a lot of paths he could have taken. And I, I started to wonder if he did the exact same thing I did when I was researching this and just kind of fell into rabbit holes that were adjacent to the story and found himself just spinning a whole complete different narrative based on some of the stuff that he was finding. I mean, that checks out for me. I would like that to be the case. It sounds like you've cracked the code. I, I sure do hope Sounds like I you've did. summoned the sorcerer, oh, if you will. No, but seriously, that's very cool. That's honestly, yeah, it's really dope. Wild. I never knew a lot of that. Me neither. And going back to the episode, I have to give another prop. Props. I have to give more props to the more gaffers props. and the cinematographers because I feel like they really made use of the set, the shadow, the lighting. It was all a lot of shadows on another level than we've seen with Are You Afraid of the Dark? Mm -hmm. And even the camera angles. Half of the episode takes place at this tilted angle. Yeah. Uh, where it's kind of just meant to unnerve you as you're watching it. Very Dutch. Dutch style. Yeah. And also the way that they angle the camera when Dean is speaking early in the episode, he has no power. In your eyes, you see him as weak. And throughout the episode, the angle that you're looking at him from changes. Yeah. yeah. And you see him as more powerful. And this is all very subconscious stuff that you and I notice in film. Mm -hmm. And I think they really, they used it in pretty effective ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this Purely episode. visual stuff. Yeah. So overall, scareometer. <laughs> what do you give the tale of the Sorcerer's Apprentice? I'll give it a four. I also gave it a four. There you go. <laughs> in terms of actual scariness... The scary part to me came from Matthew's portrayal of this personality shift mm -hmm. and his tone of voice and this person that you trusted becoming somebody that you couldn't trust at all. That's really what would have spooked me as a kid. But other than that, mm -hmm. while I don't really have memories of watching this one as a kid, I don't think the idea of the sorcerer would have gotten to me because I was so immersed in that idea of a Christian worldview, a Christian God, that a Babylonian yeah. sorcerer and ancient artifacts possessed with power that was not going to scare me like, at the time. If this happened, I would just pray and he'd go away. Exactly. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah, what what matches that? <gasps> All you know? I have to do is pray. <laughs> it didn't seem and, you know threatening. Uh, but I did, I did, I will say, I enjoyed the 30-year cycle, even though they didn't explain why they needed it. I liked that they included it because it has this very horror, classic horror vibe that it, yeah. Fear Street recently did it really well mm-hmm. last summer with three movies that are killer, no pun intended, but I highly recommend. That was so I good. Fear Street. I kept thinking, I almost told you multiple times that I, with the summer approaching, I was like, man, I really wish there was like something like Fear Street Me too. coming out Me too. this summer. I mean, we got Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Right. Yeah. That that was sort of- It was amazing. That was sort of to appease us with a, a summer without Stranger Things. Exactly. At the time. <laughs> yeah, that's why that existed. Yeah. But I still- And I enjoyed it. It was great last summer. It that, was. That, that was, was last summer for me. Time. I was like, every two weeks- The next episode came like, out. I know. That was yeah. so fun. Oh my God. I miss those days, kind of. But- Me too. There'll be more good stuff coming out. And- I've always had a reverence for history and archaeology. I've always appreciated that museum exhibits. Mm-hmm. I nerd out about that kind of stuff yeah. because there's something crazy about tangible history. And so I like that he incorporated that as well because it's it's right. believable, it's passable, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially with kids learning about this kind of stuff in school at the time that they're watching it. School field trips and stuff to museums. Yes. So many school field trips mm-hmm. to museums. <laughs> But I loved them. I loved them. I would do it every day if I could. I grew into it more as an adult. I didn't appreciate yeah. it as a kid because I didn't understand. I, I could spend all day reading plaques in a museum as a kid. Yeah. Hyper-focus. <laughs> it also very closely resembled the beginnings of like a mummy narrative mm-hmm. or something of that sort. It's all very archaeological, mm-hmm. digging up old artifacts and things from yeah. these ancient cultures. For whatever reason, that was a big theme of fiction in my childhood. I remember- Me too. Yeah. I don't even know what all- Probably there was probably some magic school bus. Mm-hmm, probably Di- the dinosaur ride at Animal Kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> it had everything Definitely has this educational slant that like to look back at history to right. sort of help us understand our present and the future. Yeah. And I like we talk about that I all love the time that. on this show. I love that stuff, and so it fit right in. I liked it a lot, but did it scare me? <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't think so. It's more fun. This was more thrilling. Yeah, I wouldn't say this is horror. But I, I mean, they did, this is, they did lean into the, like I said, the voice, his voice and his, um, yeah, the, the scary It wasn't not, guy. you know, scary. It didn't, yeah. It's not frightening. It's not quite pushing the button. Right. Well, in the words of Eric, we're all doomed. <laughs> we're all doomed. <laughs> and we are doomed, listener, to repeat history if we don't respect it and understand it. Uh, I'll just gesture at America in general right now on a path to revoke civil rights and go back on everything that this country was founded on, a.k.a. the separation of church and state. Uh, yeah. It all sucks and we are doomed. However, us artists and poets are going to keep right on rocking. It's up to us. Rocking the boat mm-hmm. and scientists and uh, we believe the scientists and we... <laughs> We believe the artists, and um, at least there's that. (laughs) (laughs) At least there's that. That's all I have. That's all I got for you. I think we're going to need a bigger boat. And not only that, but this guy, you know, he just kind of needed to talk to somebody, you know? Dean? He felt lonely. Right? Very insecure. He kind of just needed some counseling. You're never really alone, Dean. Some therapy. (laughs) Like, you know, if you're feeling that way, just- He had his friend, but yeah. Talk to somebody, you know? You don't have to be absorbed absorbed into these- Yeah cults because <laughs> you make yourself vulnerable and susceptible to of course you know, yeah and negative energies and but i will say you don't have to be vulnerable and on the fringes of society to be absorbed into a cult i'm not shaming anybody no, of because course it not. could happen to not. anyone 
it happened to me. Like, it's the the way that they are structured, are, it's very pervasive. Yeah, yeah. But in this case, yes, poor Dean just needed poor Dean. a listening and ear. If and you're, if you have a friend who needs help like that, who is, you, you clearly see that something's going on, toxic positivity is not the way. <laughs> hey, hey. Not very helpful. I would love to just shout that from the rooftops. If you've never heard of the concept of toxic positivity, I encourage you to look it up right now. It's real bad. It's um, real bad. It really does not help. Never helped me. It, in fact, hurts. Mm-hmm. It hurt me. Yeah, I too. Can't because stand it. what you want in that situation is for somebody to validate what you're feeling and to acknowledge that what you're going through is difficult. If I could just have had, you know, in the harder times of my life, I would, I would appreciate it if somebody would have just been like, "Whoa, that's really shitty. That's really tough. Yeah, that is, you, you are going through something hard, and you're handling it. You know, that kind of validation, mm-hmm. far and away more helpful and effective than just being like, "Oh, well, buck up, Buttercup." <laughs> Well, we kind of like back alleyed our way into like referencing toxic positivity earlier with our solution to this problem would have been just praying about it. Yeah. That's kind of that's the epitome of a religious slant to toxic right. positivity. You're Thoughts fine. And just pray about it. Thoughts and prayers. prayers. Yeah. Just be positive. Sometimes you have to act. Sometimes. Sometimes you have to pour chlorine into the pool. That is sometimes what ha- what has to be done. To neutralize the poison. The nightshade. <laughs> the belladonna. <laughs> Which, like, I kind of kept thinking, like, is there salt in chlorine? Because she went this whole salt is protective. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm I didn't like, go there wh- in what? my chemistry research, but I, I don't isn't know. there? Isn't it sodium? I don't. I'm I missed so that day in chemistry If you class. like chemistry at all, just please forgive me. <laughs> forgive us. Educate us. Come back Help again. Help us understand. We're artists. Yeah, we're excited for, for next uh, next episode. We've got a lot of good stuff coming away. Like I said, oh, there's yeah. going to be a giveaway in October mm. that we are collecting items for, and we can't wait to show Very you. Very excited about it. Giveaways, our Patreon's coming, extra bonus content, yes. super dope stuff, fun merch. It's going to get awesome and pretty dark. Get in on it while you can. Come follow us, click <laughs> the buttons, while you can. leave the reviews, all that good. While there's still stuff. time before the world just burns up in a ball of fire <laughs> and disease exactly in disease oh my and god the disease everything else mm, i can't even go there mm. can't even go there right now <laughs> we should stop before it gets too dark <laughs> uh-huh. just pretty dark that's all we want thanks for listening guys it's been a lot of fun we'll catch yeah, you next time yeah we appreciate time. you thanks for going to ancient babylon with us mm. maybe we'll go again we, one day you never know where this podcast is going to take us <laughs> we promise know. that we'll be right there with you the whole time don't be afraid to touch <laughs> Don't be afraid to touch. (laughs) Touch our relics. (laughs) All right, I'm going to go. Sorry, folks. We'll see you later. (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to That's Pretty Dark, written and produced by Christian Baxter Mott and Kaylin Andrews. Our music is composed by Jonathan Simmons, and our art is provided by Paige Garland at Power Girl Illustration. Join the collective nostalgia and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at That's Pretty Dark Podcast. Share your experiences and let us know what shows, films, or villains still haunt you from childhood at That's Pretty Dark Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, you're never really alone. So, until next time, sweet dreams, everyone. When I was a young girl, they thought I was mad. <laughs> 